Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV, episode number 389 for Tuesday, the 3rd of March, 2015. It's so nice to have you here. My name's Robbie Ferguson. And I'm Hillary Rumble. Welcome, everyone. Tonight, I'm going to be talking with Mitch Wilkie, who joins us from CBM Canada. Mm-hmm. We're going to be discussing their unique use of 3D printing technology in order to help children in developing nations. You want to stick around for that interview? That's coming up in just a couple minutes' time. Sasha Dermatis, how are you? I am fabulous. Thanks for asking. I would like to off the hop say that we have been having a little bit of trouble in the uh, teleprompter in the newsroom. So if I all of a sudden freeze, it's because my screen has. <laughs> but here is what's coming up in the Category5.tv newsroom. HTC is to release a virtual reality headset as part of a tie-up with Valve, a leading PC video games publisher. The year 2038 is still more than two decades away, but software developers should be thinking about that date now, particularly in the Linux world. Talk Talk customers are being warned about scammers who managed to steal account numbers and names from the company's computers. Bill Gates has been declared the richest man in the world for the 16th time by Forbes magazine's annual ranking of global billionaires. IKEA has unveiled a range of furniture fitted with wireless charging spots for mobile devices. A problem during a server update left many Samsung smart TVs looking dumb this week. Stick around. The full details are coming up later in the show. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Starring Sasha Dermatis. Hillary Rumble. Krista Wells. Eric Kidd. And your host, Robbie Ferguson. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Thanks for joining us tonight. Now, as you know, Category 5 TV is quite interested in any use of technology that is going to uh, better the lives of the users of that technology. And our guest tonight is no exception to that, uh, working with the University of Toronto in order to uh, improve the lives of children in developing nations using a very unique use of 3D printing technology. Uh, Mitch Wilkie joins us from CBM. Mitch, it's great to have you here. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about your company and uh, or your organization, I should say, CBM, and how it uh, is involved and became involved with the University of Toronto? Yeah, so CBM is... Uh probably the world's largest disability and development organization. So we're helping the poorest people in the least developed countries around the world. And again, it's focused on disability and primarily children as well. Uh, People may have known us in the past as Christian Blind Mission, but uh, blindness is not the only disability that we focus on. We cover everything from physical to mental disability. Uh, So what had happened to lead us into this project is uh, we always talk about innovative things at CBM and uh, CBM Canada was aware of a problem that uh, originated uh, with a report from the World Health Organization back in 2003. And in that report they talked about this huge gap of uh, not many prosthetic technicians being available in the less developed world. Uh, So what they said is there's a shortage of 40,000 of these prosthetic technicians, and it would take another 50 years just to train 18,000 more. And we said, wow, this is a terrible problem. Um, With with having such a small amount of technicians, uh, what what kind of problem are we facing here when it comes to uh, the need in uh, a developing nation such as Uganda, where your your work is sure, uh, sure. So uh, let me give you some context to this. Well, sure. um, the World Health Organization estimates that about 10% of the global population, so that's uh, nearly 690 million people, have a disability, um, and 80% are of those, physical, are, physical 80% of those here? are in less developed countries. I see. Okay. 
Okay. Um, so this is all disabilities. It's not just uh, people that have uh, suffered an amputation. Now, if we focus just on that in particular, mm -hmm. um, there's all kinds of causes for amputation. Uh, one of the major reasons right now is uh, survivors of landmines. Uh, oh, there's probably okay. about a 300,000 people population of uh, landmine survivors. Uh, 26,000 are added to that number every year. Uh, so that's probably the greatest uh, reason for amputations. Now, there's all kinds of accidents that happen. It could sure. be industrial and work-related accidents in less developed countries as well. Uh, even uh, car accidents. Uh, like if you go to uh, some of these countries in Africa, as an example, uh, the driving in uh, our context would be very reckless. Uh, people sure. are on motorcycles, they don't wear helmets, um, and they do fall off and, of course, get uh, severe injuries. Uh, there's also terrorist attacks. There's a lot of civil strife in many of these less developed countries. Uh, they also have what I would call are stressed public health systems. So there's uh, people that are adopting more Western diets. There's high incidence of diabetes. We know that leads to oh, circulatory really? problems. Uh, that will lead to amputations. Uh, someone might get uh, an injury and they can't get to a hospital very quickly. It might even take them a week to get to a hospital. Then you can get gangrene setting in, that could lead to uh, osteomyelitis or bone infections, and that could result in amputations as well. So, so here we have doctors who are able to perform, say, the amputations and surgeries in order to, uh, to basically save the patient. But what happens when it comes to a child who has lost a limb, and, uh, and you know, where do they go when there are so few uh, technicians to be able to provide a prosthetic limb? The problem is, in addition to this gap of prosthetic technicians, uh, it takes a long time to get a child or adult fitted with what we call a prosthetic socket. And the socket is the customized piece that's like a cup or a bucket that fits onto the residual limb. limb pardon me. Um, the rest of an artificial leg would consist of a pylon and a foot. And these are just standardized parts uh, that come from the International Red Cross and Red Crescent Society. Okay. So right uh, now, are these parts being flown in and provided en masse? Or how do, how do individuals... I would assume that these are expensive pieces. So well, how, a prosthetic... How, how do I come into that? Yeah, a prosthetic leg in the less developed country is very different than what you'd get in Canada, as an okay. example. Yep. Um, in Canada... Time isn't so much of an issue to get a good fitting prosthetic leg and socket. Um, there's different technology that's used to achieve that. And you could spend anywhere from five to $15,000 to start to get fitted with a prosthetic leg in Canada. Well, in a less developed world, we have to get that cost down to about $250. And that's so, Canadian dollars. Yes, so and is huge, um, there is a system or a methodology that was developed by the International Red Cross or Crescent Societies. Okay. So they are producing um, pylons, which are uh, essentially the leg portion and then artificial feet. Uh, these pieces are cut to size and they're bolted together and then they're attached to this socket. But now the socket in a less developed world it takes about six days to produce one. Um, so if you imagine a uh, residual limb, a patient's set on a table, and if we talk about a below-the-knee amputation, on that residual limb, they have to wrap plaster Paris bandages around this limb, yeah. and they're creating a negative cast on this residual limb. Oh, From that, okay. they make markings on so this they cast. A mold, basically? A mold. This is taken off. There's more plaster that's poured inside this negative cast, mm -hmm. and a steel rod is placed in the center. Uh, when this dries, it creates a positive cast. And this plaster cast has to dry for a period of time, and it's often just put outside in the African sun. Oh, I got you. And uh, once it dries to a level a prosthetic technician wants it, they will then take that and they will remove material by filing, they will add colored plaster to the surface, yep. and all while feeling the residual limb of the patient. So it's very much a craft in addition to their theoretical knowledge, right. but they're feeling for muscle mass, cartilage, tendons, bone protrusions, all on this residual limb, and they have to best represent how this positive will represent that limb. 
once they create this plaster positive, the next step is to create the socket. And the socket is made out of polypropylene plastic. It comes in a sheet. It's heated up in an oven. Yeah. And it's then wrapped around this plaster positive and a vacuum is applied to it. So this polypropylene plastic is sucked down against this plaster model. And from there, it's welded, it's pulled apart, it's ground. Um, and then they do more fabrication and fitting to attach it to the residual uh, limb and also the pylon and foot. Mm-hmm. So the patient, for example, if it's a child, may have to come from a very far distance to go to a hospital. Sure. Uh, it's uh, not unusual for them to travel days. And would they encounter a, a large waiting list in a situation like that? Not necessarily. Um, we would have workers that would typically identify these patients in need that are in the okay. village areas. But um, it, it may be days. It, the one patient, we were just in um, Korsu Hospital in Uganda yeah. in uh, January, mm-hmm. and it was 65 hours for this uh, four-year-old girl to come to the hospital to get fitted. Wow. And the fitting takes about a week, as I said. So, yeah. you know, looking at this problem, there's only 12 prosthetic technicians in Uganda. There's about 250,000 We're not talking 1,200 technicians. We're talking 12 versus 12. How, many, how many children that are in need of prosthetics? In Uganda, there's 250,000 children that are in need with okay. some disability. So for 12 prosthetic technicians to serve this kind of population, yeah. um, you can imagine there's uh, many that are not receiving a prosthetic leg. So... So if what, you what, imagine, what then? Well, if you imagine I mean, a person coming in, sorry, Skype makes a, it sometimes a little bit difficult because we talk over each other when we uh, with a little bit of a delay. Sure. I'm thinking just before we move on, we've got 12 technicians in Uganda who are servicing and serving 250,000 children who are in need of some form of prosthetic limb so that they can continue to uh, to play sports with their friends and even just be mobile enough to be able to help out with the family uh, tasks and everything. So it sounds like a massive undertaking for, I mean, it would be a massive undertaking for that, that ratio anyways, but it, working um, in a developing nation, I would expect that it's a huge undertaking for each of those technicians. It must be a stressful job and, and to, to do your best to be helping those children and, and be so limited by the the resources that are there for them so so my question to you mitch is what is the solution that cbm and uh, cbm canada and the work that you're doing with the university of toronto what have you come up with to try to alleviate um some of the 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 i guess stress or or workload on those technicians but also to help more children uh who are in need of prosthetics Yeah, so first of all, there's this gap. There's not enough technicians, and it takes too long for them to produce a prosthetic socket. So we're looking at how could we expedite that. And we wanted to see if we could apply 3D printing technology to this. So we uh, first put in a uh, grant uh, request to Grand Challenges Canada. Uh, We did receive funding uh, that started to provide the seed money for us to explore this. We then had to find a principal investigator, and that led us to the University of Toronto. Toronto and Dr. Matt Rattle. So Dr. Rattle uh, heads up the Semaphore Lab at the University of Toronto. They do a lot of uh, experimentation with modeling and 3D printing. Mm -hmm. And we discussed how could we uh, perhaps resolve this. So this started uh, about a year and a half ago. And in that time, we were looking at uh, scanning technology for 3D. Um, And there's been a lot of changes just in the past 18 months. Uh, the first scanning we were looking at was photogametry, where we're using a digital camera to take many pictures of a residual limb, oh, and then yeah. these would be knit together to produce a 3D image. Mm-hmm. Then we started to use the Xbox gaming system, the camera, from it. It's amazing. And uh, uh, now that uh, particular technology is in a handheld uh, scanner by a company called Sense. And uh, December of uh, 2013, Apple Computer bought that technology. So I wouldn't be surprised in a future iPhone we'll have uh, 3D scanners. Hmm. <laughs> that's that's interesting. Know. So when you, when you talk about 3D printing technology, now we think about you know the trinkets that we see, but it is becoming more and more uh, of a useful 
technology. I, I think about the space station and how they uh, kind of emailed a tool to the space station cosmonauts so that they could 3D print it. So are, we, are you talking about in, installing 3D printers in, in nations where it's needed? Or are you doing the 3D printing in Canada and then shipping these prosthetics at a cheaper price? How does that work? Well, no. So actually, you know, it was getting the scanning at first to uh, produce a 3D image of yeah. a patient's limb. Um, the next step was, well, how do we create the socket? So we uh, brought in Autodesk Research, and uh, they've got software called Mesh Mixer. So it just so happens that the um, student that developed Mesh Mixer was at the University of Toronto and uh, ended wow. up getting his software bought by Autodesk, and he's now working for them in the research. But they partnered with us, and they've tweaked this mesh mixer software to um, work with a scanned image where a prosthetic technician can build a model socket, and much more accurately than all this handcraft work that's done with plaster of Paris and polypropylene plastic. So, Does that uh, take we've a got- lot of the workload off of the technician? Um, well, right now we're uh, testing it out. So in January, we were at uh, Korsu Hospital in Uganda. We had all the technology there, the scanner, mm-hmm. uh, the software that we're using. We're training them how to use it. And we've got um, MakerBot 3D printers. And we're using uh, a starch-based uh, plastic filament to create the socket. Yeah. But in the past 18 months, we did all the research behind that to prepare the software, to do the stress load testing on the socket, to make sure it was uh, acceptable. Uh, but yes, now we can uh, scan a patient limb in about 45 seconds we can spend about three hours where a technician can build the socket on a computer and then it could be sent to a printer where the printer will create it in about six hours unbelievable so now we've got this process down to one day from what would normally take six days and, so you and can imagine talking, a prosthetic technician can have greater output now to, to keep that in perspective 250,000 children so the the difference between like a one-sixth ratio in, in time that it takes to create doesn't just mean faster turnaround. It also means more children who are helped. So what is the vision for your project and where do you see this going on a grand scale over time? Sure. So our next phase is to do clinical trialing. We're going to do that with 35 patients at Korsu Hospital in Uganda. Uh, That'll probably take another six months. Um, We're also starting to prepare for scaling up. Um, My expectation is that CBM Canada will set up a social enterprise uh, because we are a not-for-profit charity right now. So a social enterprise would be for-profit, but uh, the majority of the funds that are raised would be... uh, plowed back into the program to scale this concept up. Mm -hmm. Um, We're not quite sure where we're going to go with it and how we would roll it out. We still have research to do over the next year. Uh, But this social enterprise may have uh, software as a service model, as an example, um, where people would um, basically prescribe to the, or subscribe to the system. Um, they could download the software for free. Uh, they would be able to use low-cost commodity items, 3D printers that maybe cost $3,000, a scanner that costs $500, and use our software um, and have access to training on how to uh, create prosthetic sockets. And this could be rolled out through CBM's channel. Uh, we're already working in 68 countries around the world. We're supporting a lot of hospitals with this kind of work. So we've got that um, framework in place to roll this out very quickly. There's other people that are doing similar kind of work that we're doing, but they're using much more expensive equipment. Um, Like even MIT University, um, you know, they use... uh, uh, CT and MIR as scanners. Uh, they're using printers that cost over a million dollars. You just can't apply that into a less developed world situation. You know, our products are very inexpensive, uh, really under $10,000 for the whole package. Right. So it's, it's just commodity 3D printers, commodity scanner, and uh, our software bridges everything together. So we're looking at it not only as the per unit uh, prosthetic a lot cheaper, but also the startup for the hospitals and the technicians themselves. Yes, that's right. And you know, we we don't want to eliminate prosthetic technician jobs. Like we're not trying to um, de-skill them. We we were actually trying to add skills to them so they can have a new tool and do uh, better output. Sure. And how has the reception been by these technicians? Oh, uh, absolutely. They're on side. Uh, We're also working with the International Society of Prosthetics and Orthotics. Um, They're keeping abreast of uh, updates on our technology and they're endorsing our system as well. 
Very good. So it, are you operational at this point uh, in, in a developing nation? Yeah, I can say that we've uh, proven the concept at this stage right now. We've uh, fitted a couple of patients at Corsu Hospital, uh, but we're looking at how we can uh, still improve the system as we do the clinical trialing. Yeah, right. uh, you so know, the technology is changing rapidly. Uh, like when we first started off, we were using uh, $3,500 printers, and we went to a better printer that cost about $7,000 right. because it had a larger printing bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we... Um, we're able to uh, go back to smaller printers. We could print a socket into smaller pieces and then actually fuse them together. Okay. Uh, so yeah. the printer output was faster. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of things we can explore here. Um, there's also what we call um, orthotics instead of prosthetics. Prosthetics would be helping someone that has a missing limb. An orthotic would be something that might be a bracing. Uh, Yeah. There's a lot more bracing that's required for this kind of work in helping patients. Corsu right. um, Hospital has already been experimenting with 3D printing for maxillofacial surgery. There's people that come in with a tumor on their jaw, mm-hmm. so they have to rebuild the jaw bones using bones from the leg. Uh, but the 3D printing modeling can help set up almost like a miter box for the jaw bones, and they could save three hours off the operation. So, so there's all kinds of applications that we can explore through this social enterprise that we'll be setting up. I would expect, expect that uh, the hospitals in these developing nations, the cost of the prosthetics would be less than the traditional method? Absolutely. We, we've got to get the cost down to 250 to $300 because that's typically the annual income for a family in Uganda. And, yeah. uh, you know, if you take a 10-year-old child that lost their leg, they're going to need about 25 prosthetic devices over their lifetime because every 6 to 12 months are growing 2 centimeters, so they need uh, yeah, a new socket. Right. As an adult, they uh, need less, but uh, nonetheless, they're still going to need a lot over their lifetime. It's sure. difficult for them to afford one, never mind 25. That's tough, uh, you know, a lot of these families, it's subsistence living, it's agricultural, they're uh, exchanging or bartering goods. They can't even raise a cash to uh, get to the hospital and buy this prosthetic leg. Mm-hmm. So are there charities that are becoming involved with this project in such a way that perhaps uh, there is some fundraising that goes toward helping uh, these children? Well, that's essentially what CBM is doing. Uh, we're uh, fundraising through donors, and uh, we will work with partners to deliver uh, solutions to people in need. Wonderful. Mitch, how can we help? How can you help? Um, you could uh, pay attention to the project. We do have uh, a website. It's uh, www.3dprintability.org. Uh, we will be doing regular updates with that. Um, you know, we're uh, happy to receive uh, donations uh, toward these efforts, and uh, we've got uh, a lot of need out there. So uh, I would expect in a year, year and a half's time, we'll be uh, ready to start rolling this out on a grander scale and serve a lot of uh, people in need. Wonderful. Well, it's such an interesting and innovative use of the 3D printing technology. I love to see technology being used uh, to help people that uh, that really, uh, realistically, like you say, $250 is, is potentially a, a full year's income for someone in Uganda. And when you think about the, the regular cost of a prosthetic limb, it, it's just, it's so astronomical that it's, it, it would seem impossible and absolutely unattainable. So to be able to bring it down to a price that maybe, maybe could be achieved by contributions from viewers and people around the world who want to support a project like this. So, uh, yes, yes. You, and we want to get these children um, walking, being able to play, to help out around their household, to be able to go to school, you know, to eventually be able to uh, earn their own livelihood yeah. and uh, be accepted as anybody else would be. Mitch, uh, thank you so much for being here with us and I wish you all the best with this project and to you and and your entire team. uh, Just uh, keep up the great work. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, Mitch. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Uh, Now we're off to the newsroom. Here's Sasha Dermatis. It's Tuesday, March 3rd, 2015, and here are the stories we're covering this week. Valve and HTC are bringing immersive virtual reality to users with the new Vive headset. The Linux apocalypse is looming. TalkTalk is warning customers about scammers who stole their personal information. 
Bill Gates is still the richest man in the world. Setting your phone down on the coffee table will charge its battery thanks to some innovative tech furniture from IKEA. And Samsung has had a rough few weeks, what with sharing voice data over unencrypted connections and then some of their smart TVs turning dumb. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. If you'd like to have a cool virtual set just like Sasha Dermatis, visit cat5.tv slash green. And currently there is a sale on all your green screen needs. Check it out, cat5.tv slash green. I'm Sasha Dermatis, and here are the top stories from the Category 5.tv newsroom. HTC is to release a virtual reality headset as part of a tie-up with Valve, a leading PC video game publisher. The HTC Vive will be paired with wireless controllers and tracking technology to let wearers explore computer-generated environments by walking around their rooms. A test version of the kit will go on sale to developers shortly, followed by a public edition later this year. It will compete with Facebook's Oculus Rift and Sony's Morpheus VR headsets. The machines let wearers view computer-generated 3D environments to give them a sense of being there. The announcement marks a change of strategy for HTC, which has focused on smartphones. Wow. So I wonder, you put the headset on and then your whole room turns into a different room. Is that how it works, Robbie? I like that idea. Yeah, that except would, I wonder if then would you maybe trip over your coffee table? <laughs> I don't think you're actually supposed to run around, Sasha. I think that would be a bad idea. <laughs> well, Have this headset on and room. that's the opportunity to yeah, do all your walking. I, I just feel like I'm very klutzy, so <laughs> we'll see how that works. Alrighty. The year 2038 is still more than two decades away, but LWN.net editor and longtime Linux kernel chronicler John Corbett believes the software developers should be thinking about that date now, particularly in the Linux world. He raised the issue at his annual kernel report talk at the Linux Foundation Collaboration Summit in Santa Rosa, California this week. Time to start worrying, he said. The issue is similar to the dreaded Y2K bug in that, long-standing, in that a long-standing deficiency in the way of some computers w- record time values, sorry, um, is due to wreak havoc in um, all manner of software this time in 2038. Back in the early days of Unix, when 2038 was almost a century away, time codes were implemented in 32 bits. Now we're going to run out of bits in which to tick off seconds. Specifically, that's going to happen at exactly 3.14.07 on January 19th, 2038. So why worry now when we still have decades to fix the problem? Corbett warns, systems are being built and deployed now that will still be in service 23 years from now. Linux-based systems are being put into cars, into building control systems, into power plants, and who knows how many other places where they will just simply sit there and do their job until time runs out of bits, and then they won't work anymore. While it's far from being too late to address these issues, each year that developers produce software that doesn't take 2038 into account only compounds the problem. Time will tell how seriously software engineers take this problem, but Corbett says he doesn't see a lot of firm planning going on. Mm. Gee, Robbie, will that affect us? in any way or in that many years yeah. i think where where it really is a concern is you think about machines that are created in order to last they're built to last and so they put linux on it and that makes mm-hmm. sense you've got linux machines that are still in operation from the 1960s 1970s kind of thing well, not linux unix though mm-hmm. but the linux obviously didn't exist but unix which linux is kind of a based based on mm-hmm. It has been around for a long time, and there are machines that are still out there in operation, which is crazy because the technology has changed so much. Yeah. But what happens if something that is based on Linux now still exists 30 years from now? Right. And what kind of problems would that cause? Y2K type problems. Even yeah. worse. Oh. Most likely worse. Talk Talk customers are being warned about scammers who manage to steal account numbers and names from companies' computers. An email sent to every customer, and in an email sent to every customer, Talk Talk said scammers were using stolen information to trick people into handing over banking details. Okay. 
TalkTalk said it had sent the email to every customer, although only a few thousand account numbers went astray. It has set up a dedicated phone line for customers targeted by the scammers. The theft of data was unearthed when TalkTalk investigated a sudden rise in complaints from customers about scam calls between October and December 2014. This seems to be a reoccurring story that happens week by week <laughs> where where companies have just been infiltrated by scammers and their stuff just goes... Well, you know what? Like anything, I, th- I think they're looking for ways to compromise your private information. And in this case, con- uh, confidential um, financial information. Mm-hmm. If I can mm-hmm. compromise your bank account, well, then I can take your money. Yeah. So doesn't it seem legitimate when somebody calls you up and says, hello, I'm Robbie, I'm calling from such and such company, and you're like, okay, yeah, I deal with that company, yeah. right? So name, name a company, right? Uh, and uh, do you still live on such and such road? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's me. So they're able, because they've got the information, to make it seem really legitimate. Mm-hmm. But, but fact is, I, and I had a phone, a phone company call me uh, just recently, and it, and it turns out it was them, but they were trying to get information from me. I said, how am I supposed to know that you're really the phone yeah. company? And they're, well, can I confirm your account? Do you still live? On? And I was, no, I'm not answering that question. But a lot of people will fall for it. And we need mm-hmm. to be careful that you don't fall for that ever, mm-hmm. even if they present legitimate sounding information. If you didn't make mm-hmm. the call, how do you know that it's really them? And in this case, like Talk Talk, they had the information. They could make it seem legitimate and Maybe. get your credit card information. Oh Yikes. Scary stuff. So, yeah, it happens a lot. Bill Gates has been declared the richest man in the world for the 16th time by Forbes magazine's annual ranking of global billionaires. Come on now. Yeah. The Microsoft he looks founder, so happy about he, it. He does look so happy about it. The 16th time. He's probably just, you know, it's, it doesn't even phase him now. Just like pours himself another coffee. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, All he's like, Bill Gates is like, <laughs> richest man in the world again? No. Still. Still. <laughs> Still. Somebody once told me that if Bill Gates saw $1,000 laying on the side of the road, it would not be worth his time to actually stoop down and pick it up in the, because he makes more than that, like second by second. Like he just makes. <laughs> I guess that's true. Not that it's true that you know. Let's yeah. He wouldn't walk. He I wouldn't he walk past it, but it wouldn't much. be worth his time to pick it up. The same way you might not pick up a nickel. I do. I but. think though that he he would have to reach the point where there is so much wealth that. Wealth means absolutely nothing to the point like if you had that kind of money, it would be like a penny on the sidewalk you just yeah. it's it's so small that it does what, he what still you, have all that money after he's been giving away so much like he has the he has doesn't he have something with his wife where they're just giving away all yeah, of the their Bill money? Gates Foundation. Yeah. They do all different kinds of good. Yeah, and they still have so much. What a crazy problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> the Microsoft founder once again beat Mexican businessman Carlos Slim to the he top didn't, spot. He didn't, to be fair, he didn't actually beat him. <laughs> Mr. Gates' net worth rose by just over $3 billion this year to $79 billion. Just $1 billion shy, Bill Gates, and you'll be there at the 80. There are a record 1,826 billionaires in the world, Forbes said, an increase of 181 in the past 12 months. Mr. Gates has now been on the top of the list for 16 of the last 21 years. Legendary U.S. investor Warren Buffett regained third place in the list with a net worth of $72.7 billion. Congratulations to both of you. (laughs) (laughs) Furniture giant IKEA has unveiled a range of furniture fitted with wireless charging spots for mobile devices. The Home Smart range will initially include lamps, bedside tables, and a coffee table, as well as individual charging pads for any surface. IKEA has used the wireless charging standard QI, which is also supported by Samsung in its latest handset, the S6. The Swedish furniture firm will sell charging covers for incompatible iPhones and Samsung models. 
environmental group Friends of the Earth urged caution over the recyclability of such products. IKEA said in a statement that its wireless charging products are easy to fraction at the end of life and expands on that by pointing out by adding wireless chargers to home and office furniture, we minimize the amount of separate chargers needed. Which does make sense, except if your charger is embedded into your, say, side table and your charger <laughs> is pooched, then all of a sudden you need a whole new side table instead of just a, a new charger. Yeah, I guess so, eh? if you're really <laughs> relying on it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I would be interested maybe in, in actually buying one piece of furniture that would charge my phone. No, I wouldn't outfit my whole house or anything. But... But I I don't know, because I kind of feel like if I was going to set down my phone to charge it on my bedside table, well, that's where the cable is, and I plug it in and I leave it there. So it doesn't make any sense to me to have to... Yeah, but everybody's... But then everybody in the family's phone could be on the table. Then you don't need lots of cords. Oh, so you don't have to have like the whole Griswold family Christmas Mm. kind of... Uh, rig of electrical outlets. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I actually, okay. I really like the idea. I want to be able to charge everything, like on the coffee table, mm-hmm. which would be funny because you'd come in and your coffee table would be like stacked up. Like <laughs> <laughs> You've got phones everywhere. <laughs> there should yeah, be no, maybe right. IKEA would have been smarter to have like a charging drawer in all of its furniture, so that everything just is hidden away. So you actually have little, to put it away for once. Yeah, a little charging drawer, People a timeout for your phone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be good too to get on a plane maybe i mean ikea doesn't make planes which is probably for the best but to get on a plane Can with you your phone dead and get off of it full <laughs> <laughs> the assembly instructions yeah on a plane, plane by ikea Lovely. oh my goodness yeah. <laughs> anyway i like the direction it's going <laughs> we'll see Right. A problem during a server update left many Samsung smart TVs looking dumb this week. Affected sets were unable to connect for two days, meaning owners could not use their more advanced features. The problem is now fixed, Samsung said. It follows a series of issues for the firm in recent weeks, which admitted that its sets were sharing users' voice data. Before opening investigation into why its TVs were adding adverts to media played via third-party apps. In a statement released on Thursday, Samsung said that it conducted its regular update of the Smart Hub server last Tuesday. During this process, it was reported that some of our customers in certain countries encountered difficulties connecting their smart TVs to the server. The difficulty was caused by errors in matching the country code with the relevant server, and the issue has now been resolved, the company said. Research analyst Paul O'Donovan said, These are new and more advanced than what we've had in the television market before. They take some time to settle down, maybe within the next year or so. Yeah, I guess. eh? Now, see, when I first read the story, I thought that I had had the problem that they had. But it turns out that I just have a very glitchy smart TV because it doesn't always connect. But it it wasn't out for two whole days. Did you speak to it? So, Did you tell it that you want it to connect? Like, it's we- well, it's listening. It's, it's listening. Listen- it's listening. Everybody's listening when I speak to it. Wow, what a paranoid schizophrenic must think at this point. The yeah. TV is listening to me. <laughs> I always knew it. Oh, dear. Oh. For all your tech news with a slight Linux bias, visit the Category5.tv newsroom at newsroom.category5.tv. For the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Sasha Dermatis. Thank you, Sasha. This is Category 5 Technology TV. You'll find our website at www.category5.tv. Thanks for tuning in tonight. My name is Robbie Ferguson. And I'm Hillary Rumble. Thank you for watching, and we're so glad you are here. Just an FYI, Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. And you can check that out at cat5.tv slash tpn. And we're also a member of the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. And you can look that up at cat5.tv slash IAIB. Thanks, Hill. All right. I just saw a notice there that uh, your mic is a little bit low, so I'm just going to fix that and bump that up. There no we go. No worries. How's that? We're good to go, I think. Yeah, Ready great. Ready to rock there this. We go. She's, she's pumped. <laughs> there you I go. I am pumped. Well, hey, we've got uh, some viewer questions to cover. We've got uh, just about 20 minutes left of the show, so I think we've got time to uh, to 
fill you in on what's uh, what's going on and a couple other things. So certainly, what do you got for me? All right, we'll jump right. Oh, you know in what? Here. When he says your mic is low, he actually means oh, it's physically low. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I just looked <laughs> over and her mic is actually pointing at the floor. Sorry guys. So that's what it, what happened. All right, give my me a bad. I must have uh, She's whacked pro- it when I flicked my hair yeah. away. I'd- <laughs> Sorry, world. <sighs> Technical issues continue, but we resolve them. That's what we do here. All right. The beauty of live television. At any rate, um, let's jump right into the mailbag. Got a question comment coming to us from Kalecom hey, in yeah. regards to episode 387 um, about YouTube viewer comments. So in the first part of the episode, you guys had... Um, we're going through the um, comments on the YouTube channel, I guess, and someone commented saying that they'd like to see the Cat 5 TV sign that used to, in mm. our past life, reside behind us. At past um, studio, yeah. Yeah. So it got Kelcom thinking that since we've already doing a green screen for um, the newsroom and Sasha's set, why not maybe have a little small green screen um, on the brick background, and that way you could have oh. Cat5.tv logo behind it, or maybe try it, buy it, um, if we're doing one of those episodes, okay. or whatever logo, maybe spice it up a bit um, for holidays, or put, putting people's um, viewer handles pop up on the screen, Yeah, cool. that sort of thing. So the so the so our viewers' uh, suggestion here, Keith, uh, sending this in, it's a great idea, it's a great thought, but I want to show you what actually happens here. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stand up real briefly here because I've got to reach over oh, he's and grabbing. grab a piece of green screen. A hunk of there green. we go. Okay. Here we go. So this this is for the sake of demonstrations. I'll show you why such a thing couldn't work. Okay. okay. Do you want me to assist you? Sure. Do you want to hold that well, up? I can for me? hold this. Okay. So we'll pretend that that's that's behind us on the, the wall. signage. So. When it comes to virtual space, so we've got a newsroom, for example, that looks like this. Mm -hmm. When you realize that that space actually looks like this, it's it's kind of mind-bending. It is. So you've got that. That's the real physical space. And there's the virtual space where Sasha sits. Now, Sasha, of course, is helping us out uh, with the camera tonight. So she's going to help us with the the presentation. (laughs) So what happens when you mix real-world objects such as ourselves or anything else into the virtual space. So if this is the virtual space, well, let's hop on over to to, uh, Telestream Wirecast. I'm going to just load up a mouse so that I can uh, actually control this with a mouse rather than touchscreen. There we go. So I'm going to bring up my wide shot here. Okay. And I am going to set up chroma key on that shot. Whoa. Okay. So now, as you can <laughs> cool. see, the thing that's in Hillary's hand is invisible. Is invisible. Okay. <laughs> so if I now add uh, something to the shot below that, so let's use uh, that. Okay. Ooh. So I'm going to place kind of an outer space animation on that canvas. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we've got this kind of cool thing going on. Right? So now, observe the planet that's there. Because remember, that planet is in virtual space. We are in physical space. So, Mm. Hillary, move move the green screen a little bit. And what do you notice? The planet. The planet planet does not move with the virtual space because the virtual space is static. Right. So now, Sasha, could you slowly zoom in on me? Okay. And now observe what's going to happen behind me here. So you see that? Oh, what the heck? Yeah. So if we used a chroma key screen gotcha. for the logo, now you can zoom back out again. And you'll see what happens. Hmm. See? Because the virtual space is statically so set in the frame. Interesting. Wow. Okay. So while the, the concept, the premise behind it would be fantastic, you would literally have to hmm. pull out the entire background and never move the camera. Right. Right? Interesting. It works on a, on a newsroom set because Sasha is always in the same physical position. Right. So she doesn't have to get up and move around. There's nothing moving in the shot other than Sasha. Thank you very much. Oh, Whoa. there we go. Where'd he go? <laughs> How cool, cool is that, eh? That is really cool. It blows my mind. Oh. 
so Andy crazy. asked if um, Wirecast, can they do a live motion tracking to solve that? Unf- well, see, that's where post-production comes in, is you can do motion tracking, which is as mm. the camera moves, right. you have points where it's actually able to move within a 3D space in the virtual realm as well as the physical realm. Gotcha. W- Wirecast doesn't have motion tracking. It has amazing you can agree with me the chroma key is spectacular we're live tonight and we're able to do that that's so cool like that easy right so easy so it is uh it does very very good for what it is built Hmm. for but it does not have motion tracking so unfortunately that is not an option Thanks cool. so much for the, the interesting question. I appreciate that. That is interesting. And actually, I have another comment here, I believe, that is relating to this sign issue. Yeah. Um, okay. The sign is really... The sign. <laughs> we need the logo. We need to know what we're I did have here. one suggestion that came in that was to uh, do more lower third stuff. Like sometimes we bring oh, yeah. these kinds mm-hmm. of things in mm-hmm. and, you know, we could do stuff like that. And then it's that could work really True. well. Yeah. And that's just another layer in, in Telestream Wirecast as well. Interesting. Sorry, that's okay. This is from Spice Jacks. Hey, Spice Jacks. Um, saying um, a way to display the sign would to have, um, would be utilizing our suspended ceiling. And there's like oh, clips that you can right. attach to the grid and then hang the sign down with fishing line. A lot of retailers do that in um, okay. stores for posters and signs. So yeah. he offers... Um, a link to um, a possible sample of one of these. Cool. So I, I think know. where where that to me would be problematic is only the fact that I would expect it to kind of wave right with, with, with our windy uh, of the, fans we got going on. Yeah, here. <laughs> and that's that's something actually that was raised um, during our Google Plus Hangout last week was a similar suggestion to that and it was suggested maybe we put something behind it um, mm. so we'll see what what comes about i have been in touch with a couple of local sign companies including the company that did our our vinyl which you saw earlier uh the category 5 technology tv logo on the on the blue wall in the interview area um so hopefully they'll come up with something that's reasonably cool and reasonably inexpensive yeah. and come up with a good solution for us so that would be great. Thank you all for your cool. comments. Um, wanted to, of course, just make quick mention of our bobblehead here bobble as we pay head. respect to the past, well, the past uh, Leonard Nimoy. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's had mm-hmm. such an impact on so many lives over the years, especially us Trek fans. And um, <laughs> funny story with, with our bobblehead. A um, couple of things that have happened with him. We had to actually remove him from the set. Because oh. our camera kept seeing him as a real person for the autofocus. Oh. <laughs> so it was behind us, and the camera would all of a sudden focus <laughs> on the bobblehead. So do you remember the days when the, uh, when the, the wall behind us was in perfect focus and we were out of focus? Yeah. It was because of our bobblehead we figured out. Oh, so it was all Leonard Nimoy's fault, right? Oh, boy. Next story for you. <laughs> After following one of our, our episodes of Category 5 Technology TV, where we had the bobblehead over our mm-hmm. shoulder on the shelf behind us, I, I often upload pictures to Twitter. And this happened to be around the time that Twitter was experimenting with their facial recognition system and all this kind of stuff. So I simply had uploaded a photo to Twitter of us on the set. Yeah. It was a <laughs> screenshot. And as soon as it uploaded, it said, with at the real Nimoy. It recognized. I couldn't believe it. It blew my mind. It kind of creeped me out a little bit, but it actually thought that Leonard Nimoy was here on the set with us of Category 5 TV and put it direct uh, direct to his... uh, I mean, Twitter that would have been cool. That would have been awesome. But, uh, that's yeah. pretty funny. So that was the closest I have ever come to meeting the man. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. But uh, he did live long and prosper. Mm-hmm. So, peace, long life <laughs> to you all. But uh, he will be missed. <laughs> yes, for sure. All right. So let's uh, jump into, do we have some more questions? Sure. I do have another question Great. coming We've got to us. Ten minutes from... left of the show. Oh, so okay. if you've got questions for us in the chat room, throw them our way. I see this. Sasha's over there with her. She's got her phone and she's watching the chat room <laughs> at the same time. It, giving yeah. us some, some stuff. Mm-hmm. Beauty. Okay. Dennis Kelly writes to us asking, do you know why? Or, um, sorry. I don't know. 
I don't know. <laughs> I, I just read it wrong. Do you know this? No, I don't. I don't know. Do you know why I lose my um, USB support for my USB mouse? I'm using Linux Mint 17 on my laptop, and it's just a generic mouse. What's the deal? Well, you'd have to try a couple of different things. First thing I would try, uh, well, the first thing I would try is the obvious thing. Did you unplug it and plug it back in again? <laughs> so simple. I know. It sounds dumb. I had so much trouble when we moved into this space with our flash drive. Hmm. Because, as you know, we've got fairly limited internet bandwidth here. So mm-hmm. when we moved into Studio D, I decided I, I would buy a really fast USB 3 flash drive. And I would copy the file after the show and take it home with me and upload it using my home internet. Hmm. Because it's faster and yeah. it's less expensive. Great idea. But at the beginning, I had some real trouble with it. Hmm. And then I found out, as I was plugging it in one day... That the port of my USB port that I was using every time, because it was the one on the front of the computer and made it, it was the easiest to access, um, was actually physically damaged. I don't know if maybe the kids, hmm. when the studio was back at the house, oh, if they maybe put maybe. something in there or something, but there was actually physical damage. So mm-hmm. then I, I disconnected that port because it was seemingly causing some trouble with my mm-hmm. USB and plugged into the directly into the motherboard and problem solved it actually fixed the problem so uh, so it could be a defective usb port but it could be as simple as um another thing that i would check is um so from there you know try a different usb port uh but also check that you don't have too much stuff plugged into usb because if you do and those peripherals are powered by your usb bus then it's possible that you're overloading the the usb Uh, there can only be so much stuff plugged in and then it will drain the, the USB bus and you don't mm. have enough power to power the mouse and it will just disconnect. Pardon me, not quite as likely. But in order to solve that, you can use an external powered hub and plug in high drain devices such as scanners, possibly printers if they have a USB card reader, things like that. Um, you know, um, tablets, if you're charging tablets, mm-hmm. that is a f- full draw on your USB yeah, bus there. Sure. Um, so you can just plug those into a, an AC adapter, for example. So those are things. Uh, other than that, if it's actually an OS-related problem, then I would suggest um, go into your terminal, um, become super user or use sudo, and type LSUSB, and it'll give you an output about your USB devices and share hmm. that with us, share that with uh, with the Linux Mint community and see if they can be of any assistance. Uh, could be a module that's crashing. Um, I have seen it where I had a server recently where uh, they had plugged in a USB dongle for a wireless keyboard and mouse because they thought, oh, Robbie's coming to service our, our server. Let's give him a wireless keyboard and mouse so he can be at the desk rather than standing at the server. Uh, nice gesture, but it rebooted their server. Interesting. Huh. Because there was a problem. And it turned out when I looked at the messages log, there was a crashed USB driver um, that, had, that had happened there. So um, check your logs. Um, check into that kind of stuff. If if it is a uh, module, then you might need to um, basically blacklist a module in, in your kernel. There's so many different things it can be. But LSUSB will tell us a lot more about your USB devices, and, and maybe we can go from there. So good luck. Cool. Yeah. How are we looking time-wise? I was just looking at that. We've got about uh, seven minutes left. And the reason we're kind of watching the clock tonight is because we were a little late getting started. So to us, we're not real time. So <laughs> a, little bit, good. a little bit of a different schedule. But it's nice to see everybody in the chat room. Thank you for mm-hmm. your patience tonight as we got up and running. And then during the news segment, my computer crashed. Yeah. And I had to reboot. So <laughs> you didn't see, but that's why there were no graphics for the later <laughs> news stories. But uh, we got up and running again, so... We're good. We're yeah, golden. It happened live. It's all good. <laughs> it's just one of those days. <laughs> well, yeah, I think we have time you. for one more kind of question. Great. I think. So this comes to us from Smart Jacks. Or Spice Jacks, not Smart Jacks. Hey, Spice, Spice Jacks. Jacks. Smart Jacks. Smart Jacks. I, I'm a little <laughs> delirious today. <laughs> oh, sheesh. Okay, so... This kind of feeds into some of our technical difficulties. I think we got some questions, some comments happening. Okay. Um, he says that he's noticed the sound problems lately with the AC fan going off. Oh, yeah. Squeaking, that was a problem. of air. Um, he's just wondering if there's an open mic or maybe an iPod uh, phone or camera mic that maybe is picking up the sound as well. 
um, someone else, a viewer, had mentioned that as well. I'm not sure if we if we touched on this email, but it does ring a bell. Jack Smart, Smart Jack, whatever. <laughs> Spice Jacks, ignore Martin. me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you noticed that I got rid of the squeak, so that's wonderful. The squeak is. And we're gone. working on kind of tweaking things, and uh, audio is a is a big big issue for you know it's it's really really important to our studio. Uh, we've been working very hard to get the video quality up. With the new camera and uh, and all that kind of stuff. What are you laughing at? The fact that you put me behind the camera and you're trying to work on if your If you could see, she's standing right behind the camera because Adam couldn't make it tonight. And uh, she's just she's laughing giddy. away. She's yeah. giddy. We need so a camera nervous. that's pointed your direction. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, the camera looks great, and it, and is you know oh, yeah. every every week is getting better. We're learning kind of you know I'm learning that you know blue probably works a lot better than than some of the shirts pops. that I've worn. Yeah, pops out of the the screen a little bit better, and you know there's all these different things that we have to think about. And then when it comes to audio, of course we're in a rented space now. Mm-hmm. So when a f- uh, I don't know. They have some kind of crazy boiler system. I don't know how they heat this place, but there are uh, big jets of air yeah. that shoot out of the roof. And, if, wild. and we have no control over it. We don't even have a thermostat. So um, it's like we, we take what we can. Mm-hmm. So we were able to get the squeak out. Um, and I think the fan noise is reasonable now. And that's just done through compression and stuff. So hopefully things are looking pretty good. We're figuring it out. Yeah. Um, he has another comment, another request, actually, sure, yeah. to have a regular segment or another show on GUI-based Linux software. Maybe, like, try it, buy it. There's not much out there showing the alternatives to Windows-based software. You do the best demos I've ever seen on how to, Robbie. So if Linux is going to get any traction to convert Windows users, you've got to show them that uh, the GUI, a.k.a. desktop Linux, is as good as and, in fact, better than Microsoft Windows. Nice. First comment. I know we've read this email before. I'm sure of it because I've got severe deja vu. Oh, but then when you got when you got to the part where he said that I do a really good job, I was like, I don't care. We're reading it That's again. That's really nice. So I, I'll take it. Oh. Um, yeah, we're expanding into different shows, and and uh, G, as far as GUI Linux goes, um, the the challenge for us is. One, staying on top of the latest software mm-hmm. so that we're kind of ahead of the game and, and able to show you. But the problem is, and I'll be straight up honest with you. Straight up. Compiz is dead. Oh, Compiz is dead. It's a really <laughs> sad thing for people who love Compiz. And when I say Compiz is dead, let's take a look at our demo yes, system Yes, let's here. look here. Okay. That's strangely cropped, so let's try this one. <laughs> All right, so when I can do things like this, and when I can be doing a presentation for you and say, oh, just click over here, and I can zoom in like that, that is all powered by Compiz. So I'm able to do all of these, what you would normally call effects, but realistically, if I'm able to do that and show you on screen, it is able to, you know, you're able to see that better. And I'm able to point things out to you better. Now, because Compiz is dead, hmm. it means there is no more of that support. So as we upgrade we our software, we lose that even in the studio. So we've had to hold back our software right. in order to still keep that functionality. So I wonder if maybe virtualization would be an answer if we were to stay up to date with a virtual machine or something like that and, and be able to give you um, some hmm. newer um, tech reviews. We'd be certainly happy to evaluate, you know, different products. But in the meantime, if you have suggestions for different items that you would like to see reviewed on the show, I'd be more than willing to, to look at that. Looking at a couple of games right now, interesting stuff that uh, that we may want to uh, show on the show. Hmm. Um, so, you know, we were in some IRC chat rooms over the past little while and talking about, you know, different game developers and development and see who, who we can get on the show. Um, so there are, you know, some really neat uh, Linux-based tutorials that are in the works and interviews and reviews, and uh, we'll kind of grow from there. Cool. Thanks for the comment. Thanks for the questions. Mm-hmm. And thank you, chat room, for being here. It's so great to see you. We've got viewers from all over the place tonight. It's very cool. And uh, I see a pretty packed, busy show oh, uh, yeah. chat room. So so good to see you mm-hmm. and we are literally uh, just about out of time but in the meantime i'm gonna see if we can get up our viewer location map 
It's map.cat5.tv if you want to check it out. And when you go there, this will actually show you a pin for the Whoa, viewers who are checking out Category cool. 5 Technology TV tonight. And I see you from all over the world. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in. We Except love it. Libya, where are you? Where are you? Algeria. Where? Oh, northern Algeria. There you are. And uh, so we've got uh, we've got we've got you covered. Broadcasting all around the world. One thing that always makes me smile is that we're. You can see, uh, and if you've been watching the show for a while, you know that we we really tried hard to get into mainland China mm-hmm. after we were blocked by the uh, the Great Firewall. And uh, so we got servers <laughs> implanted in mainland China, and you see that our, our cool. uh, viewership is growing there. So welcome to the show, wherever mm. you are, and thanks for tuning in. Well, it's all the time that we have. Can you believe it? it? Time flies. What do you think, Sasha? Wow, that, the hours just fly by faster and faster every <laughs> week. I know, right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody. I hope you have a fantastic week, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again next Tuesday night. See ya. Bye. We hope you enjoyed the show. Category 5 TV broadcasts live from Barrie, Ontario, Canada, every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you're watching this on demand or through cable TV, check out the local showtimes in your area at Category5.tv and find out when you can watch live and interact in the community chat room. Category 5 is a production of Prodigy Digital Solutions and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 2.5 Canada. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in.